Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church podcast. Today's message was given by Pastor DJ Ritchie on August 1st, 2021, during our Sunday evening service. We have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service for adults and the youth group at 6.30 p.m. and 6 o'clock respectively, and Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. We want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get into it. Amen. Thank you, guys. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we pray that as we consider the cross of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice, God, that we would truly be humbled, not just in in word, God, but in our hearts, humbled by your sacrifice for our sins, uh, sending your only begotten son to die for us in our place. Uh, God, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And God, may we also rejoice and give glory for the victory of the resurrection and the victory that will be ours when Jesus Christ comes back for us. And God, that's why we're studying this book tonight. It's why we're studying prophecy, God, because we want to have a deeper uh, appreciation for your greatness, your goodness, but God, also that we might have hope in the future because we know you hold the future and you've already secured it. And so, God, uh, may your spirit give us wisdom and insight as we look to your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll say goodbye to the youth. Uh, Emily is uh, still with us tonight. Emily is one of our newest missionaries. I believe she's also our youngest missionary. So I hope that you get a chance to... uh, 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 say hi and goodbye to Emily. Uh, she's going to be heading to the mission field here uh, very shortly, and so just a privilege to have her. Uh, Gigi and I got to spend some time with her this afternoon, and uh, just a joy to be able to catch up with her before she goes. It may surprise you to learn that God sometimes speaks in code. How many of you have heard of the code talkers that were employed during World War II, actually during World War I as well, but most famously known uh, during World War II, the Navajo code talkers that were employed by the Marines in the Pacific Theater of Operations, and they used uh, their native languages to communicate, and uh, sometimes they would use a simple form of that, they would just speak their language, and Uh, Other times they would actually uh, encode their language with English and uh, every English letter was represented by a Navajo word and so uh, it could get very complicated for anyone who had no clue what language they were speaking or even when um, the the Axis powers uh, knew what was going on, they still had a hard time translating the language. Uh, Began in World War I, uh, with the um, Cherokee, I believe, and the Chowtow, uh, but then greatly expanded during World War II, also employed by the Army. There was a, a between, somewhere between 400 and 500 Native Americans that were uh, employed during 
World War II in not only the Pacific Theater, but also uh, in the war in Africa and the European theater, and uh, greatly effective. Simply speaking, their language, but it was code because of how foreign it was to the Axis powers. And let's be honest, to the Allies as well, because if you weren't trained to understand uh, these native languages, uh, it, they might as well have been speaking Greek for all the, of us that can read Greek. That would not include me. All right? I, don't, I don't read Greek. I don't speak Greek. I poorly pronounce Greek. I just know how to use an interlinear Bible. That's the extent of my uh, Greek capacity. But God speaks in the language of, oftentimes, in the language of dreams and visions. And as we begin to wrap up this study on prophecy, we're going to come back to one of the most common ways that God speaks in the prophetic, which is through uh, dreams and visions. Now, very quickly, uh, let me remind you that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. The reason that we are studying prophecy, the reason that the Bible is so much prophecy is because prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. It's the testimony not only of what he is going to do, but the testimony of what he is able to do. Telling the enemy exactly what he's going to do and then doing it. Daring at times the devil to even try to stop him. And yet still able to achieve every single promise that he has made to us now we've seen that prophecy is a promise of God we've seen that it's a proving ground it's a way that God tests us it's also a way that God says hey test me (laughs) test me let's let me show you how awesome and powerful I am through the testing ground the proving ground of prophecy we've seen that God sometimes follows a pattern or he'll use prophecy through pictures We've seen uh, that prophecies have literal and symbolic fulfillments. It's not either or. It's not this prophecy is symbolic and you don't have to worry about the literal. This prophecy is literal. You don't have to worry about the symbolic. But God is much uh, more complex than that. And and many times the prophecies beginning, uh, we went back to Genesis 3.15. We looked at the very first prophecy in all the Bible and we saw how complex and, and how diverse that single prophecy is, those few words in Hebrew, how many ways that God has already fulfilled that single prophecy and how he's going to continue to completely fulfill that prophecy. We spent a few weeks talking about parable prophecies, seeing that, that many of the parables of Jesus had a prophetic element, especially as it relates to the kingdom of God. Matthew 13 is a great place Uh, to start if you're interested in studying that more. And then we have been looking the past several weeks over uh, looking at shrouded prophecies, encoded prophecies, and we've seen that prophecies are also sometimes a puzzle. And God will give us pieces of the puzzle, but sometimes we don't even realize that those pieces are going to fit together until after the fact. And we look back at at uh, the Genesis 5 code, and we look at the genealogy from Adam to Noah, and as Dr. Chuck Missler discovered, when you translate those names, they have a message. They, ha- they, they communicate an amazing message that God was going to come, and he was going to bring peace 
through his death. We saw the same thing uh, in Zechariah. We see uh, um, in Daniel, in the writing on the wall, that there's a there's the clear message that Daniel interpreted, but then there's also a coded message in there as well. And so we've looked at mysteries, we've looked at puzzles, prophetic puzzles that are enshrouded in the text, and now we're going to start to put all of those together when we talk about this subject of dreams and visions. And so I want you to, again, consider with me the patterns of prophecy, the pictures of prophecy, the puzzles of prophecy, all of those represented when we consider apocalyptic dreams and visions. I want you to turn with me, first of all, tonight to Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12. And from there, we're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Numbers 12, Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18, we looked at, uh, I believe it's a couple months ago now. But God, through the prophet Moses, is going to reveal some interesting things to us in these statements. Numbers chapter 12, let me pick it up in verse 5. The Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron, Aaron and Miriam... This is uh, Moses' brother and sister, and uh, Aaron, of course, the high priest. Miriam was a prophetess, and they both came forth, and he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches." And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And of course, God brought judgment on uh, Aaron and Moses, or uh, excuse me, on Aaron and Miriam, especially on Miriam, uh, because uh, of their um, stance against uh, Moses marrying an Ethiopian woman and. Uh, God gave Miriam leprosy because of how she reacted to that. And Moses, uh, being a, a, a godly man and loving his sister, um, stood in the gap. Aaron also appealed uh, to Moses to stand in the gap. In verse 11, Aaron said unto Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, lay not the sin upon us, wherewith we have done foolishly, wherein we have sinned. Let her not be as one dead of whom the flesh is half consumed when he cometh out of his uh, mother's womb. And so Moses cried unto the Lord, verse 13, saying, Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. And the Lord did heal Miriam, although she had to be shut out of the camp for seven days. And so we see, though, in this judgment that God brings a, a very unique revelation to us, and that is that the primary way that God would give prophecies and one of the primary ways that God would identify one of his prophets was not simply thus saith the Lord, but it was dreams and visions. In fact, Moses, God tells us, was the only prophet who did not get dreams and visions. That God only spoke to him face to face. That God only said to him. Now that doesn't mean that God never spoke to Paul uh, uh, thus saith the Lord, or that God didn't, never spoke to Jeremiah or Ezekiel or any of the other prophets or apostles uh, face to face, or thus saith the Lord. We know that Jesus appeared to 
Paul on the uh, road to Damascus. We know that Jesus appeared to John the Revelator in, on the Isle of Patmos in Revelation chapter 1. Nevertheless, God also spoke to them in dreams and visions. In fact, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18 adds to the story here. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 14 says, For these nations which thou shalt possess hearkened unto observers of times and unto diviners. You know, they, they had their horoscopes and they had their uh, um, predictions and their uh, diviners. And But for thee, God said, the Lord thy God hath not suffered thee so to do. God, God does not allow his children to mess around with horoscopes and mess around with that kind of nonsense. For the Lord God will raise up unto thee, verse 15, a prophet from the midst of thee of thy brethren, like unto me, Moses said, unto him ye shall hearken according to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God. And Horeb in the days of the assembly, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire anymore, and I die not. And the Lord said unto me, they have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And so what we learn from this passage is that Moses was the only prophet in the Old Testament who did not need to receive dreams and visions because of his closeness to God. Jesus is the only prophet in the New Testament, one just like Moses, who God would directly speak to being the son of God and having the very spirit of God come upon him in his baptism and empower him. Jesus did not need to speak uh, to God in dreams and visions. Jesus spoke face to face. Moses spoke face to face. But all of the other prophets, uh, all of the other apostles, there were times when God spoke to them directly and times when God spoke through dreams and visions. So what is so significant about a dream and a vision? What is that even all about? Well, let's talk about these words for a moment. We'll stick, since we're in the Old Testament, let's stick to the Hebrew here. The word vision in Hebrew means a glass, uh, as in a looking glass. Now, remember what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians. Now we see through a glass darkly. Now we see through a glass dimly, but then face to face. Even the Apostle Paul said, I don't see everything completely clearly. Even the Apostle Paul, who was taken to heaven, 2 Corinthians tells us, now, he, he said, I don't know whether it was in the body, out of the body. I don't know whether it was a vision or whether I was really there. I don't know. God knows. But I had this experience. And because of the greatness of this revelation, God's given me a thorn in the flesh to keep me humble because of the greatness of the majestic things that I saw there. A vision is a clouded picture of a spiritual or heavenly reality. A vision is, it, it's something that you're actually seeing. It's something that the prophet was actually seeing, but they're seeing it in a clouded way. They're, they're actually seeing something that's really happening, but they're seeing into the spirit world. A spiritual event that can't be seen by physical eyes. Remember in Matthew chapter 17, we talked about this passage not too long ago. Matthew chapter 17, Jesus goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he meets with Moses and Elijah. And there's 
Peter, James, and John with them to witness this event. Peter records this in 2 Peter chapter 1, seeing the, the greatness of his majesty. But when they come down from the mountain, after having this incredible experience, Jesus tells them, don't talk about this vision until after I've been resurrected. Don't talk about it right now. This isn't something, I, I don't want you to talk about this vision. He calls it a vision. And now some people have said, well, that means it didn't really happen. It was just, it was just in their imagination. No, that's not what the word vision means. That's not what the word vision means. It was an actual event. We don't know how Moses and Elijah were there. We don't know whether they were there um, it, just in spirit, or we don't know whether when uh, uh, Elijah was taken up in that chariot of fire, whether God took him through time and space and landed him on that mountain to meet with Jesus before he picked him up and took him again, I believe directly into the time of the tribulation. Uh, Malachi tells us that Elijah will come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. But it's, uh, it's the ability to see into the spirit realm. Not, you're not seeing really with your eyes, your physical eyes. You're seeing with your spiritual eyes. Paul talks about... Uh, the difference between the seen and the unseen in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 when he says, listen, the things you can see, they're temporary. The material things are temporary. It's the unseen things that are eternal. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote about the shadow lands. And we think of death as the shadow lands. We think of death as, as the shadow. But C.S. Lewis pointed out that no, no, no. This is the shadow land. We live in the shadow land. Those, uh, those in Christ who have gone before us, they're not living in shadows. They're living in the reality of the glory of Jesus Christ. They're not living in the shadow. We live in the shadow lands. We live in what is temporary. We live in what is corruptible. We live in what is decaying. But our brothers and sisters in Christ who are with the Lord, they don't have to worry about the shadows anymore. And so a vision is when God would give the prophet the ability to see in the physical world, but see into the spiritual world from the physical world. Sometimes this is how uh, people interacted with angels. We see in, in the Gospel of Luke, for example, at the very beginning of Luke and at the end of Luke as well, that when there were angelic encounters, they were described as visions. Because how do you see an angel? Well, either an angel has to take on the form of a man, and Hebrews tells us that sometimes we do entertain angels unawares. So they somehow enter into the physical realm and take on physical appearance. Or, in a vision, someone is able to see into the spirit world and, and see an angel, and that's what was happening in the Gospels. That's what was happening uh, when people were encountering scripture, uh, encountering angels in the scriptures, they were having uh, a vision. Doesn't mean it wasn't really the per the angel wasn't really there. Doesn't mean they're not a real person. Doesn't mean there wasn't a real event or historical inter interaction. It just means that God was giving the spiritual sight to the physical eyes of the prophet. We have to remember that earthly. Pictures are shadows of heavenly realities, not vice versa. Hebrews talks about this. The fact that the, the, physical, temp, the physical tabernacle that was built in the days of Moses, that was a model, it was a shadow, it was a figure of what was actually in existence in heaven. It was just a, it was just a, a, a representation, but the reality 
of what was being pictured is in heaven. Now, because the vision is unclear, sometimes even the prophets seeing it didn't really understand what they were seeing. I mean, how could John or any of the prophets seeing into the future really be able to comprehend what we now take for granted? My uh, great-grandfather, my great-grandmother on my, my dad's mom's side, I, I had the privilege of knowing them for a while when I was a child, and I dearly loved my great-grandfather, and some of my greatest memories are sitting on my uh, grandparents' front porch on the swing with my great-grandfather and just hearing the stories. I mean, he, he um, as some of you have been to Horseshoe Curve, and years ago, one of the engines that he had worked on was on display at Horseshoe Curve. It's, it's gone now uh, with the passage of time, but uh, just thought that was so cool to be able to talk to somebody who was born back in the, you know, the 1800s and, and, and lived through that whole industrial revolution and then really up until the, uh, the modern technological revolution because uh, he would even be amazed by the things that have just ex- transpired in my lifetime. Things, I mean, how would you explain smartphones you know, it'd be like, it's like the prophets were watching a, a Star Trek episode or something, you know, when the, what they would see into the future and see the things that we have now that we take for granted. They didn't always understand what they were seeing. Daniel talks about this in, in Daniel chapter 12 uh, and, and a few other places where he's like, what, what does this mean? When is this going to happen? I, I'm, I'm not clear on this. And so sometimes because they didn't really understand what they were seeing, I mean, how do you describe an airplane or a helicopter if you're looking into the future from, you know, 4,000 years ago? So they would sometimes use metaphors to describe what they were actually seeing. Interestingly, when the uh, code talkers during World War II, when they would um, use the, uh, uh, the Navajo language, the Navajos didn't have a word for submarine. How could they have a, a name for a submarine in, in that ancient language? And so they would call them the iron fish. Because how else would they, ex- would they describe it and explain it? But by using a metaphor from their language. So that's a vision. What about the word dream? Well, a dream is a dream. You guys have dreams every night, probably most of you. We don't always remember our dreams. But when a dream is given in the context of special revelation, it's describing prophetic imagery that's placed directly into the sleeping mind. So whether it was God directly or sometimes an angel would in some way be able to uh, interpose imagery and thoughts that manifested in a dream in the person's mind. And because of this, uh, divine interpretation is required. Because you wake up from a dream, and we see this throughout the scriptures, where sometimes God would give a dream to one of his prophets. Sometimes he'd give it to a pagan king. And then Nebuchadnezzar would say, uh, somebody here better interpret this dream for me. Or Pharaoh would say, somebody better interpret this dream for me. And so God would then give an interpretation along with the dream. And not always to the same person, not always to the person dreaming the dream, would he give the interpretation. And so these are more 
uh, metaphorical, these images of, of dreams. You know, you think of the dreams that, that Joseph had of the, the you know, the, the stalks of sheaf bowing down, uh, uh, the stalks of wheat, I mean, bowing down, uh, the sheaves of wheat. And, uh, of course, he was, what was being pictured there in the dream was his own family. It was being pictured, though, as a harvest. And we find out later on, the, because of the, the famine in the land, that Joseph was, because of the wisdom that God given, had given him, Joseph was the one who enabled the world to survive by providing these, during the times of, of uh, feast, storing up all of this grain. And then when the seven years of famine came. And so it, it wasn't until later that the symbolism was interpreted, but it actually represented something real. It wasn't just open to interpretation. Sometimes these things are still literal. Now, there's another Hebrew word used for vision. It's only used four times in the Old Testament. But this type of vision seems to be exclusively a reference to when a prophet would see God. Because remember, when Moses wanted to see God, Moses didn't get dreams and visions. Moses said, God, I want to see you. These other prophets get to see you in dreams. They get to see you in visions. And God's like, if I show you, it's going to melt your eyes out, right? It's going to melt your face right off if I were to show you. my in, In the state you're in today, Moses, your sinful flesh, if I were to show up, it would just annihilate you. You would just poof, you'd be gone. And so God allowed Moses to see he moved past him and he allowed to see his glory moving by he was allowed to get a glimpse but but what God was saying is there listen my glory is too great for you to download right now that's coming but you're going to get the upgrade first you're going to get the resurrection upgrade then you'll be able to to be in my presence and so how then did the prophets see Jesus well they saw him it, through a special kind of vision where, where God would scale back His glory and scale up the ability of the prophet. So it wasn't a clear picture, but it was a powerful picture. It knocked even John the Revelator, filled with the Holy Spirit, in the Spirit, knocked him on the ground as a dead man when he stood in front of Jesus Christ, the resurrected Jesus in His glory, Revelation chapter 1. Now, despite all of this, there are times when the Old Testament seems to use vision and dream interchangeably. And so, in saying that, what we could surmise is that all dreams are visions, but not all visions are dreams. Okay? I don't know if that makes sense or not, but a dream is one type of vision, you could say. But all visions are not given in dream form. And so, again, sometimes the Old Testament will, as, as in uh, Genesis 46 too, sometimes uh, the word does, uh, the, um, uh, the Hebrew word for vision does seem to include both dreams and vision. Uh, you have to look at the context. And there are a few places where we see that Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, Nahum chapter 1, verse 1. Now, you say, what, what, why are all this talk about dreams and visions? What's the point? Why does God do it that way? Well, we'll never understand everything about why God does what he does because he's God, right? But I think we can find out uh, some reasons from the scriptures themselves why God sometimes spoke to a prophet directly and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And sometimes would 
speak through a vision or through a dream. So let me give you four of them, four reasons why sometimes God used dreams and visions rather than just simply speaking to the prophet other than, of course, Moses and Jesus. Number one, as already discussed, this was a way to allow the prophet or the apostle to see into the spirit realm. We don't see into the spirit realm on a normal basis. We don't. Now, maybe some of you have had uh, an experience where you have, God has, has pulled back the veil. I've shared with you before a, a time when I was working at uh, uh, Bridges Treatment Center in Lynchburg, Virginia, and I was working the night shift, and I, f- I, I felt a presence behind me, and I saw in the mirror, and I thought it was one of my kids that was out of bed because I worked night shift, and I was supposed to monitor the cottage, make sure the kids stayed in their rooms, in their beds, and I would do laundry while they slept and do some other kind of uh, other things like that, but mostly it was, it was laundry and monitoring it was easy other than trying to stay awake sometimes. That was the hardest part of my job. But every once in a while, you'd have an, a, a major event happen, and you'd earn your pay. And uh, this was a, a, a night when I saw something in the mirror, and I turned around, and there was what the prophet Isaiah describes as a shade. A demonic spirit was right there, and, and it I startled me, and it startled that spirit. And I don't know how to other describe it than it it. it reacted like it was shocked that I could see it and it took off and I could see it I could see it like moving the papers as it went by it was uh, but it it all of that took place in like about two seconds but for whatever reason and, and I believe it was because God wanted me to begin to pray for those kids and to pray God's protection over those kids which is what then I would start to do every night after that after that event I would go room to room every night and every night I worked I would pray for every one of those kids because when I, when I saw that manifest, in my spirit, I felt the Holy Spirit say, it's not here for you. It doesn't want anything to do with you. It, it's here to mess with those kids. And we, de- we dealt with all kinds of situations, those kids in that, in that treatment center. And uh, for whatever reason, and I believe it was so I would begin to be a prayer warrior for those kids, God pulled back that veil and I was able to see something that normally I would not be able to see. And so God would give visions and dreams to the prophets so that they could see. Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on the mountain to be transfigured before them so that they would have that experience and be able to see what otherwise they would not have been able to see in the vision of his transfiguration. Same thing with John on the Isle of Patmos in Revelation chapter 1. Number two, a second reason, is that some of the prophecies, and we've been talking about this, for those of you who have been here uh, with us for the last several months, we've been talking about the progressive way that sometimes God will give a prophecy, and it's not meant to be understood yet. It's a mystery. And so how do you give a prophecy that you don't want to be completely understood just yet until something happens like the death and resurrection of the Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, God stepping into time and space, the sinless Son of God becoming human flesh and dying on a cross for our sins and then rising victoriously from the grave. That that changed everything. And then there were things when God sent the Holy Spirit on Pentecost that now the church has been born and now as we saw the last several weeks, 
the church that was a mystery in the Old Testament, now we can understand it. And the resurrection of the church, what we call the harpazo or the rapture, now we can understand it. There were pictures in the Old Testament, now we can understand it. Well, dreams and visions help that kind of a, of a um, progressive revelation. So you have a dream, you have Daniel get a dream, and Daniel, Daniel had lots of dreams. We're, we're going to be looking, Lord willing, we're going to be looking at his visions and some of his dreams that he had. We're going to unpack them in detail. So we're not going to take the time tonight to go to a lot of specific dreams because we're going to be doing that in the near future. But Daniel saw these dreams and he's like, what is this about? And the angel says, shut the book. It's not for you to know. It's for the future. I gave you that dream. But I'm not giving you interpretation yet. It's not for you. It's for us. It's for us to know what's, hap- what's happened. We can see how the prophecies have been fulfilled. And so we know the ones that have not yet been fulfilled are going to be just as literally fulfilled as the ones that have already been fulfilled. Again, we'll look more closely at that when we actually get into the book of Daniel. So prophetic mysteries weren't meant to be understood right away. Number three, visual and visceral experiences of future events or a visceral experience of a present reality in the spirit realm can't really be communicated simply by words. All of us know what it's like to be a little hungry. Now, the longest I've gone without food, I think, was 30 hours. When I was a youth pastor, we did the 30-hour famine for a youth event, a, a fundraiser to... Um, raise awareness of uh, world hunger, and um, I believe that's the longest I've ever gone. But I can tell you after 30 hours, I was, I was a little hungry, okay? So imagine that experience when you're hungry like Peter had in Acts. He's hungry and he falls asleep. And he has this dream about God bringing this sheet down with all this savory food. But it was forbidden food he feels the hunger his mouth is watering he wants to eat it but he's like god it's unclean i can't eat that god's saying eat it it's unclean eat it it's unclean god said no i'm saying it's clean you don't get to say it's unclean if i said it's clean and so he wakes up well listen he's just had a visceral experience that you're not just going to communicate in, in with language and, that, and God communicated that hunger and that experience to him in that dream, and that left a lasting impression on him that a mere word wouldn't do. And, and we see this again in the book of Daniel. We see Daniel had these terrifying visions of the future, and Daniel says, and I laid in bed, and I was like a sick man. I, I, was, I was physically ill because of what I saw in my dream. That's a visceral experience. That's something that you're not going to get just from here's what's going to happen, here's what's going to happen, here's what's going to happen. And God left that lasting impression on Daniel through that vision and dream. So visual, visceral experiences through dreams communicate truths that can't be communicated simply by words alone. And then lastly, um, one of the reasons that they did this, and we see this, again, specifically when God would give a dream to like Nebuchadnezzar or Pharaoh, This is a way that God validated his true prophets. Because Pharaoh had a dream. Only Joseph could interpret it. 
Not because he was the smartest, but because he was anointed. Because the Holy Spirit gave him the interpretation. And I love what Daniel says in Daniel chapter 2. Why don't we jump to Daniel chapter 2 tonight. Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And he calls for the wise men of Babylon to interpret the dream, but he wanted them to actually tell him the dream. I'm not going to make it easy for you guys. I want you to tell me what I dreamed and then what it means. And the Chaldeans were like, uh, there's not a man on earth that can do that. Correct. Correct. There's not a man on earth. There's a God in heaven that can do that. And so Daniel uh, took up the challenge, and he didn't just go barging into the king's room. He got together with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they had a prayer meeting. And they said, God, you're going to have to do this. It's got to be from you. It can't be from us. We don't have the power. And so God then gave Daniel the interpretation and so Daniel answered the king in verse 27 and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. And then he begins to unpack. Now again, we're going to, Lord willing, we're going to walk through that vision in, in great detail here uh, in a few weeks. Uh, next month, uh, I think at the latest. But for tonight, this was a way that God would validate his prophets, that he was truly involved. So let me give you two things as we close here. And when we talk about interpreting the dreams and visions of the Bible and we're going to practice this. We're going to put this in practice when we get to the book of Daniel and look at some of these dreams and visions. Number one, uh, build on the old with the new. Build on the Old Testament with the New Testament. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. All of these prophecies are going to be fulfilled. Jesus is the yes to all prophecies. Paul told the Corinthians, all of the promises of God are yes in Jesus. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so from Genesis 3.15 all the way to the end of the Bible, we see that God will take the prophecies of the Old Testament and he won't replace them and he won't change them, but he'll explain them and interpret them. He doesn't reinterpret them, but he correctly interprets them through the apostles and prophets and sometimes through his very own words, as in the uh, Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24 and 25. So build on the Old Testament with the New Testament. And then in all things, and this is a principle that we need to use, uh, whatever scripture, whether we're talking about dreams and visions, whether we're talking about any kind of prophecy or any kind of passage of scripture. Start with what is clear, not with what is unclear. It's okay to say, I don't know. It's not okay to say, well, I think, therefore, it has to be if we don't really know or if the Bible isn't clear. And so when we get to a dream, when we get to a vision, we, need to add, we see a symbol, a picture in a, in a dream, for example. Well, maybe that image is not interpreted in that passage maybe it is but is it interpreted somewhere else is it interpreted somewhere else so for example 
Uh, we've talked about this one before, so let me use this one for sake of time. Uh, unclean birds. In the parables, Matthew chapter 13 makes this clear. Unclean birds are symbolic of evil spirits. Birds in general, when in the dream world or in the, story, in the metaphors of the Scripture, uh, birds are symbolic of spiritual beings. A pure bird like the dove can be symbolic of the Holy Spirit. But unclean birds are symbolic of demonic spirits. And so when we go to a prophecy and we see unclean birds, we can have a good indication based on how the Bible interprets that somewhere else that this very likely is picturing some, time, some kind of demonic activity in this vision. Another example, and this will be the last one for sake of time, the Holy Spirit is often symbolized as oil in the Scriptures. And so when we come to a parable or a prophecy or a parable prophecy, or we come to a dream where oil is highlighted in the dream, there's a good indication that that is probably symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And so we start with what is clear, not what is unclear. We put the pieces of the puzzle that we have together. Sometimes you don't have all the puzzle pieces yet. That's okay. Don't try to force the pieces to fit when they don't fit. Just use what we have. Understand that we don't have all of the answers yet. And use the New Testament to explain the Old, not to replace the Old Testament. Now, as we wrap up this study on prophecy in general, uh, Lord willing, we're going to begin to go through the, the prophet Daniel's prophecies, and we're going to put some of these things into practice. Then, I believe, Lord willing, after that, we're going to jump into the Olivet Discourse, and we're going to look at some of the things that Jesus taught about the future, and we're going to build on the Old Testament with the Gospels, build on the Gospels with the New Testament and see how God doesn't replace or correct anything because the Bible does not need to be corrected, but continues to expand on and explain and interpret. We, have an, we don't know everything. We don't know what tomorrow brings, but I know what forever brings because the Bible has given us incredible hope and certainty of our eternal future. And this book is an incredible comfort when we trust it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of prophecy. God, it shows us your incredible power. It shows us that you alone are God. But God, it also gives us hope for tomorrow. And so, Father, I pray that as we uh, put into practice the things that we've been learning the last few months, as we continue to dive into the gift of prophecy, Lord, and look at some specific prophecies in your word. God, that we would be humbled by your majesty and God comforted by your power and your grace. We love you and we thank you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you have never accepted Christ as your Savior and would like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. We hope to see you soon, and until next time, stay faithful. Thank you.